I'd like to begin with a question. Why are you here? Seriously, why are you here? Why did you show up this morning? Do you know what your friends are doing? Do you know how many people are at home right now, sleeping, spending time with their families, getting ready to play golf? It's odd that we're here. Somehow we must give an account, some explanation must be given. Why are we all here in this building this morning? Some of us are here because we are either paid to be here or because we have some voluntary obligation to be here. I am here this morning at least in part because I volunteered to preach. And while I think we all enjoy seeing Father Martin get flustered from time to time, the preacher not showing up may be just too much for him to bear. (laughs) I am also here in part because my calendar app says that this is where I am supposed to be at 10.30 on Sundays. I am a firm believer that deviation from one's calendar in even the most minute way can have disastrous implications. If you ever want to mess with me, perhaps after a a particularly bad sermon, all you have to do is hack into my iCloud account, change things around, and I just may never show up again. Um, (laughs) Some of us are here because others brought us, some voluntarily and some involuntarily. Um, Michelle and I don't ask for Anna's consent before we put her in a dress and bring her here, and I'm sure it's true for a lot of your kids as well. Some of us are here because this is just what we do on a Sunday, whether as individuals or as a family. Some of us are here because we like the building, the artwork, the music, the liturgy, and all the other things that make this place truly spectacular. Some of us are here for fellowship, for Father Andrew's youth ministry, for Father Martin's sermons and pastoral care, and for Alan's teaching. Some of us are here for communion, Hopefully all of us are here for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whatever the reasons are that you are here with us in this building this morning, I am glad that you are. There is something to be said for being in the right place at the right time. Yet I am reminded in our reading from the Gospel of John that throughout the Gospels there are great crowds who follow Jesus, even seeking him out as they do in today's reading, and yet nevertheless fall away at the end. They were in the right place at the right time. They were seeking Jesus, and yet they fell away. So what I would like to do this morning is create a bit of an analogy between us who have come here today and the Jewish crowds who sought after Jesus. They are like us. They have come to the right place and are there at the right time. They have sought Jesus and they have found him. But why were they looking for him? Why had they shown up? Why were they there? Why are you here today? At the beginning of John 6, before Jesus performs his feeding of the 5,000, John tells us that it was the time of the Passover, the Feast of the Jews. This is more than a chronological marker. The theme of Israel's release from slavery in Egypt and their journey through the wilderness to the promised land is a dominant motif of this entire chapter. 
Just as we create an analogy between ourselves and Jesus' followers, the text of John 6 creates an analogy between Jesus' followers and that generation who experienced God's deliverance from Egypt. This is nowhere clearer than in our reading. The people say to Jesus, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat, bread from heaven to eat. Jesus responds, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Just as the people had been provided for with miraculous food in the Exodus, so now the people are once again provided for by miraculous food. Where there was not enough food, Jesus creates it. And do not miss the imagery. Jesus takes the loaves, gives thanks, and then distributes it to those who are seated. In case we missed the point, John reminds us again when he refers to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. This imagery of Jesus taking bread, giving thanks, and distributing it is unmistakably Eucharistic. After he performs the miracle, Jesus withdraws from the crowd and his disciples. His disciples head across the sea to Capernaum, and Jesus, unbeknownst to the crowd, walks across the water to join them. The next day when the crowd awakes, they realize that Jesus has left. They get into boats and they head to Capernaum. They are seeking Jesus. These aren't the people who, in our modern day analogy, couldn't be bothered to show up on Sunday. When they figure out that Jesus has left, they want to be where he is. They don't go play golf, at least not until the service is over. Um, And I had to add that caveat because I don't want Darrell to cancel our tea time in some act of penance. They don't return to their day job or go hang out with their families. They are seeking Jesus. But why are they there? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. At first, Jesus' rebuke of the people seems almost absurd. He had done something remarkable They were excited and they came to him for more. What more could he ask of them? But he rebukes them nevertheless. They had followed Jesus, but they had not done so rightly. And this gets me to what I see as the first of four potential dangers for those of us who follow Jesus. There is first a danger For those of us who follow Jesus and failing to see beyond the sign to the thing signified. There is a danger in letting the signs be an end unto themselves. We heard in our Old Testament reading, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. The point of the miraculous food, of the manna, of the bread from heaven was not just that they would be filled, but its end was theological and revelational. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. For 40 years, the wandering people ate their fill of this miraculous food, day by day being provided for by the Lord, but they never moved past the sign onto something greater. They were unbelieving, they were rebellious. 
And as Jesus says, they died. Paul puts it this way, comparing Christian believers to that generation that experienced God's deliverance from Egypt, doing so through obviously sacramental language. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were baptized, he says, they ate the spiritual food and drank the spiritual drink, and yet most of them, with most of them, God was not pleased. In a similar way, Jesus accuses these followers of failing to see past the sign, past their own full bellies, to the true significance of the event. As it is said in Exodus 16, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. As we might say from John, then you shall know that I am the bread of life. Then you shall know that the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. There is danger for those of us who follow Jesus and letting all of these signs be an end unto themselves. Everything we do here, but especially the eating of bread and the drinking of wine, is meant to move our bodies, our minds, and our hearts to something greater. As he did on the road to Emmaus, the resurrected Jesus makes himself known in the breaking of the bread. Second, there is a danger for those of us who follow Jesus in thinking that the work of Jesus, the gospel, is about us and our needs. Of course, the man in the wilderness and the feeding of the 5,000 met the needs of the people of God. That is undeniable. But what God was and is actually doing, particularly in Jesus and his church, is so much bigger than you and I. When we think about why we are here today, there must be an outward focus. The bread of life, the bread of God, as Jesus says, isn't just about being physically filled or about bringing life to ourselves. The bread of God is not he who comes down from heaven and gives life to us or to Israel, but he who comes down and brings life to the world. This is why we pray, may we who share Christ's body live his risen life out in the world, I'm assuming. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. When we gather together, there is danger in thinking that what happens here, no less the very gospel of Jesus Christ, is about you and me getting our needs met. God intends that we be sustained by the bread of life, but that we in turn would bring life to others, that we in turn would give light to the world. Third, there is a danger for those of us who follow Jesus in trying to earn what he offers us freely. The people say to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, you've told us that there is food that endures to eternal life. We get it. So what do we do? How do we earn this? Jesus replies, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus offers us freely the bread of life, the food that endures to eternal life, Jesus himself. He doesn't ask us to earn it, to deserve it, or to merit it. He offers it to us freely. We want to earn it. We want to work for it. We want to deserve it. I get it. 
That's just not how it works. The Father asks only that you believe in his Son, and even that faith, that belief, is a gift. If we try to pick ourselves up by our own moral bootstraps, we will fall. If we believe in him and trust in his work, we will stand, and we will partake of the food that endures to eternal life, the very bread of life. There is danger for those of us who follow Jesus in trying to earn what he offers us freely. Fourth, there is a danger for those of us who follow Jesus if we expect Jesus to conform to our expectations. Remember from last week that the very reason Jesus withdrew himself from the crowd is because they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. This is why the crowd has to go and seek Jesus, because he has departed from them. They want him to be king like they expect a king to be. In our text, they want him to be another Moses. He is a second Moses, but he is someone greater than Moses. Jesus had just fed over 5,000 people with five barley loaves and two fish. In fact, the feeding was so miraculous that there were 12 baskets of leftover food. And again, we shouldn't miss the point of the symbolism. In Exodus 16, the people are commanded to gather together an extra omer of bread on the sixth day of the week in preparation for the Sabbath. In John 6, there is leftover bread because in Jesus, the final Sabbath, the final rest for humanity and creation, the very rest into which God entered on the seventh day is coming. The new manna for the new people of God is being gathered in 12 baskets by 12 representatives of Israel. And what do the people say about this stunning and theologically loaded uh, miracle? They say, so what sign are you going to do that we may see and believe in you? I mean, it's it's almost absurd. (coughs) Pardon me. They say, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I think what's going on here is this. The people are thinking, yeah, you fed us once and that's great. But Moses, that dude did it for 40 years. Throughout the entire chapter, if not the Gospels as a whole, those who follow Jesus seem to be engaged in an extended exercise in missing the point. Jesus is there offering them something better than Moses could ever have given them. But their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear because they want Jesus to be who they want him to be. While they have followed Jesus and they have recognized him as both prophet and king, they have done so only according to their own expectations. If they have recognized him as king, it is because they expect him to lead a revolt. (coughs) Pardon me, I'm sorry. It is because they expect him to lead a revolt against the pagans like his namesake Joshua and most frequently Judas Maccabeus. If they have recognized him as prophet, it's because they expect him to be a second Moses. But he comes as a different kind of king. He comes as someone greater than Moses. There is danger for those of us who follow Jesus if we expect him to conform to our expectations rather than us conforming to his. What then are we to say? If there is danger in failing to see past the sign to the thing signified, 
if there is a danger in making the work of Jesus simply about me and my needs, if there is danger in trying to earn what Jesus offers us freely, and if there is danger in expecting Jesus to conform to our expectations, then what are we to say about him? Who does he make himself known to be in this text? First, he is the new manna for the new people of God. You and I are on a journey from slavery to sin to the promised land of new life in Jesus. From this age to the age to come, from this heavens and earth to the new heavens and the new earth. And this journey is and will be difficult. There will be times when we will, like the Israelites before us, look back at our former slavery and long to return. I think you know what I'm talking about. This exodus of ours from slavery, from sin, and from death will be a hard journey, but Jesus is there as the new manna for the new people of God, offering us food that endures to eternal life. He offers us himself the bread of life. If we will believe in him, he will nourish us on our journey, and we shall never hunger, and we shall never thirst. Second, he is the new showbread, the new bread of the presence. When Jesus speaks of the bread of God, he seems to be referring to what is commonly called the showbread of the temple. This is bread that was placed on a golden table very near the Holy of Holies in the temple and the tabernacle. And by its proximity to the very presence of God, it was thought to be holy. And it was used by the Israelites to fulfill a command, the command that every year, three times a year, they were to appear before the very presence of God. But only the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, and that only once a year. So how are they to appear before the very face of God if they can't get into the Holy of Holies? Well, at the major feasts, the priest would bring out the golden table, this bread of the presence, this bread that had been very near the presence of God, would set it out, and when the people walked by, the priest would hold up the bread and would say, Behold God's love for you. When the people saw the bread, it was thought that they had fulfilled the command to appear before the very presence of God. Jesus is more than new manna. He is someone from the very presence of God. He has come from heaven. He has been near God, and so he communicates God's very presence to us. But third, he is more than new manna, and he is more than new bread of the presence. He is the bread of life, the bread of God, not just from the most holy place of the earthly temple, but from heaven itself. He is, as he says, ego eimi, the great I am. I am the bread of life. This is the first of Jesus' I am statements, and one of the few he repeats twice. He is the one who has come down from heaven to sustain us, to communicate God's presence, and to give life to the world. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten of the Father, not made of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. This is who Jesus is. This is who he offers himself to us as. He says, I am the bread of life. So why then are you here? Why are we all gathered here this morning? We are here to move past all of these signs to the one whom they signify. Come 
eat bread and drink wine and behold God's love for you. He will make himself known in the breaking of the bread. In the synoptics, Jesus says, this is my body. In John, he says, I am the bread of life. We are also here to celebrate the feast of the people of God. Together in fellowship and love with one another, we will celebrate and remember the great Passover sacrifice made on our behalf. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. We have come not to earn this nor to merit it, but we are here because we believe and therefore we will keep the feast. And lastly, you are here so that you might go out and give life to the world. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup Bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us. So we and all your children shall be free. And the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.